episode 10 of the MetroFan TV Weekly Rundown, coming to you live once again in two different locations, halfway around the world. Lenza Fernando separated by the Pacific Ocean physically, but not separated in terms of heart. How are you doing today, Fernando? Uh, mostly good. Um, tomorrow's my birthday, so just kind of laying low so I can do stuff and yeah, kind of just tune out a little bit. <laughs> Mentally and uh yeah, long long you know, two week break before the or a week and a half at this point before the next game, so just trying to just trying to, you know, get by. It's a beautiful uh Thursday morning here in Singapore. Uh obviously I, I hear that it's uh, unseasonal warmth up there in New Jersey right about now, but listen, fall is that wonderful time of year where the playoffs are about to start and uh you know, things start getting a bit shaky. You know, I think uh, kind of notable that we have this playoff run coming up because this is the only October playoff thing. This is the only October playoffs that matter anyway. Now that the stupid Yankees decided to fuck up <laughs> and eliminate themselves. But uh, that's a, that's another thing. You know, <laughs> I was kind of disappointed. I've enjoyed that. I was kind of disappointed by that, like admittedly, because it meant that, you know, uh, we wouldn't have to send City to Connecticut to play their late season commitments again. But, you know, all good things, unfortunately. Yeah, I was secretly, secretly rooting for, I mean, I guess as a Mets fan, it's kind of win-win. Like, either they shot the bed and I get to laugh at Yankee fans, um, or they won and I get to laugh at NYCFC fans, so. Uh, anyway, uh, something about New York managers and a totally galaxy brain and reigning it when it matters most, but big, but, 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 but <laughs> we've kind of bucked the trend with this one. Haven't we? Uh, I guess so. Uh, we'll see into uh, the San Jose game this way. Um, riding off the high of just absolutely creaming Atlanta two nil at home. And, uh, you know, we're going to apologize in advance. Uh, we don't want to keep anyone off guard. Like, this has not become a baseball podcast all of a sudden. This is still a podcast about soccer, <laughs> particularly about soccer in the beautiful state of New Jersey, as run by the Energy Drink Company. Uh, riding off a 2-0 lead uh, from Atlanta. Sorry, running off a 2-0 win against Atlanta. Team probably as high on confidence as they've ever been all season at just the right time. You know, I think, uh, as we said last week, that win against Atlanta, I think, was definitely settled a lot of nerves. There was a very complete performance, and it was a very assertive performance, right? The people were kind of being clamoring from from a Chris Armas team for the past, his entire tenure. So the question was whether or not they would have been able to carry this momentum forward into San Jose which had apparently been a bit of a house of horrors for us uh, since 2003. And, you know, they they answered the call and then some, to say the least, right? Like nothing really too much to be terrified about, ultimately. Um, history not proving to be the uh, boogeyman that, that, you know, people would have, people might see it as being, you know? Uh that particular skeleton in the closet not really coming back to haunt us this time. And, uh, you know, I think it was kind of as expected because, as we said last week, like, this is not a good San Jose team. And we kind of managed them 
like they weren't a good San Jose team, right? Like just coming straight out the gate, Derek Etienne could have banked a brace in that opening ten minutes of the game. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, his his confidence taking... was was high that game. Yeah, it's kind of ended up taking care of business, really. I, I think uh, they said in the uh, all access uh, video um, this week. You know, uh, it was it was notable. I think the team kind of gets this sense that they do play down to the opposition sometimes. And, you know, that first half performance went a long way and showing that this team is trying to, trying to take it seriously in terms of addressing those issues. Uh, very, very complete first half performance. Like what stood out the most for you? I think the, the, the arrogance and confidence, you know, that we talked about last week, um, you know where, uh, and if you watch the match, they 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 kind of you know they kind of addressed it how you kind of have to go into this into this type of game with with a lot of confidence and, and and almost arrogance, but at the same time you also can't you know you also can't uh you know be too arrogant to the point where you kind of just just assume that it's gonna you know you're the it's gonna happen on its own. Right, that you still have to be the one to put in the work, and and that work you put in is the reason why you are so good, and we saw that, you know, uh, I, what stood out to me this game was, for a lot of teams or for a lot of games against the lower end teams of the league, um, even if even if we won, there were too many times where they kind of played down to their opponent, uh, to their opponent, and that to me is sometimes giving them too much respect. And they, I don't think they did that this game. I, I think they went in there and said, look, we just beat the quote-unquote best team in MLS um, handedly. And the week before that, we beat the quote-unquote best team in the history of MLS. So, you know, you have to go into that game with, with a shitload of fucking confidence and just, you know what? If you work your ass off, you're going to beat them. And and that's what they did. I, I don't think there was any moment of the game where they looked scared. I don't think there was any moment of the game where – you know, even if San, even when San Jose had maybe a little bit of momentum, it wasn't something where you can kind of see in their faces or their play where they're like, "Oh shit!" No, it's just like, okay, you know, things are kind of happening. Let's get our shit together, work hard, and 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 you know, put in a bag in it. And again, that that's what they did. Um, there's something very different about this team as the season goes on, and for me, it's a unique, uh, it's a unique confidence that I don't think this team has had in the past, not even in 2015 when we won the shield, not even, not even in 2016 when we went, uh, you know, 16 unbeaten, I think it was in league play. And what was it? 19 unbeaten across all competitions. There's a different type of arrogance, um, different type of confidence. It's, it's, uh, I think it's a well-balanced confidence. And this is what I think the team needs more than I think going to the playoffs at this point. Look, the shield is what it is. I, I'm confident they're going to go into the last, uh, the last two games, with the same mindset, but for me, it's about going into the playoffs with that kind of mindset because when you go against the best of the best, you have to have a different a different mindset, um, a different way of thinking, and a different mentality. And if they can go in there with this type of balanced um, belief in them, where look, if we give it our all and we give it a hundred percent, but we don't give them too much respect, nobody can beat us then I'm feeling really, really, really good. And for me, that's that that's what kind of what stood out the most. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I would characterize this sort of a different level of confidence as being the sort of perception that the team believes that they're the best team in MLS and no one in MLS can kind of 
stand toe to toe with them when they play their best, you know, and that's sort of like a, the carrot that kind of dangles, the, the carrot on the stick that they kind of dangle in front of themselves every single time I think they come out to play this this year. Is that they're going out there to kind of prove that they are truly the best and that the disrespect kind of stems from this idea that, you know, you have to prove that you can handle, like, you can, you have to prove that you can handle this team when it's at, 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 when it's firing on all cylinders. And, you know, I don't think there's really been anyone so far, I think, this season that has shown a capacity to deal with this when we're at peak form. You know, I think uh, it's notable because I think I've kind of repeated this a number of times uh, this season, but most of our losses this season have come with asterisks on them. Yeah. You know, there's enough of a, there's enough reasonable doubt every time uh, they don't come out bagging three points. You know, there's something that you can point to that um, suggests that, you know, they weren't particularly, um, you just weren't on that day for whatever reason. And I think the record kind of reflects this as well. You know, like so far, no back-to-back losses uh, this season, which I think, uh, you know, is quite notable considering that we would have spells in seasons past, but we would at least drop two games in a row, right? Like maybe you'd have consecutive away trips or something and you'd end up taking L's with both of them. But you haven't really seen much of that this season. The the biggest dry spell, the biggest dry spell that we had this entire season is we went winless in three games, which by the way was under Jesse right before. (laughs) Yeah, it was. And and it was actually leading up to the kind of leading up to, to the changeover, but it was, Late May, beginning of June, it was a draw against Philly, loss against New England, and a draw against Columbus. And I remember around that time, some people were like, okay, are we about to hit that winter, that winter slump? I'm sorry, the, the summer slump. And then they won three in a row. They lost against the, the, the game against City. Then he won three more. Then he won. Then he won two more. I mean, this team has responded so well, even – in, in moments where you're, where you're thinking, damn, you know, is, is this about, is this about to be that, that, that time of the season where, you know, they kind of maybe start falling apart and no, I mean, again, th- that that's it. I mean, the, the second worst moment of the season or is, I guess, when we drew twice in a row uh, against Vancouver and NYCFC and, and even those, you know, poor set piece, poor set piece marking, which really hasn't been a thing for most of the season and that weird God knows what the fuck that happened in that shitty baseball field. You know, like I said, there's an asterisk over so many result over so many results that didn't go our way this season. Yeah, you know, and uh, I think uh, it, it it's what is a, gi- a giant part of my confidence personally is the fact that, you know, like even if we take an L, like we always know that the team bounces back like almost immediately, you know, like uh, none of this sustained um, – None of these sustained uh, periods where uh, you're questioning what you're questioning the composition of the team, or there's some fundamental flaws of how we're playing, like you saw at different parts throughout the 2017 season. Isn't like you haven't seen as many periods of sustained like failure. I think with this particular team that has kind of differentiated it in my book from other teams in the past you know i think uh 
that's the notable thing yeah. for me is that like it's very comfortable knowing that we're going into the playoffs having never really done that because we've just responded so well to bumps in the road Definitely. this season. And it's also notable because I think we touched on this last year, last week, is that most of the points that we ended up dropping were against the bottom feeding teams, yeah. right? So we're like, I'll go through them right now. RSL, Orlando, Chicago, New England, City, Columbus, and Montreal. I mean, yeah, RSLs. Yeah, they're they're as of right now they're in the playoffs. But I I I think I think it's a reasonable take that they're they're more than in a free fall. Like they're really not a playoff team. They're kind of lucky in their playoffs because other teams, like you know what I mean. Like they're just they're not a good team. Um, yeah, Orlando. No. They're just oh, sort. No, they're just sort of yeah. No, I mean RSL are kind of in that position where it's just because the west of the rest of the west doesn't want to like claim that last playoff spot either. You know, it's, it's just who will suck shit the least down the stretch that ends up qualifying. In fact, we actually gave them their first win of the season. They lost, they, it was a draw loss. Then they won. And then he lost the very next game. Um, That came on a fucking Carlos Rivas penalty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, that should have been a draw. Um, then the next loss for us was against fucking Orlando. We all know that bullshit. I mean, how the, how in the fuck that goal was allowed, uh, Dwyer's goal was allowed. I will never understand, especially when we now have VAR. <laughs> like that is the reason why VAR exists is for moments like that. So at, at, it's because Baldomero Toledo was the referee yeah. <laughs> that game, I believe. You know, so 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 that's a huge asterisk. I mean, that should have should have been at, at worst a draw. Um, we we just flat out lost. We 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 got beaten by Chicago, and they're not a good team, which is embarrassing. But at the time, Chicago, I don't think was that terrible. Like they were okayish, I think at that time they were like meh. Well, no, no, no. They 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 were definitely sort of at that point, like definitely sort of towards the bottom. Oh yeah, of the yeah, Eastern Conference. yeah. So that. Loss, I think, definitely stung because it it felt like we beat ourselves, yeah. basically. Yeah, I mean that was that just, was the first game that I felt like we just got outplayed. Yeah, and and even then, like you you look at it, and you know, I think I you realize they beat us on a golasso and a penalty. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of like you know, I mean, you play that game maybe ninety nine, you play that game a hundred times, and ninety nine out of a hundred, like you at least come away with a point, yeah. you know, that was like the one. That's what it definitely felt like. Um, but yeah, you know, I think like, like, yeah, I mean, we can continue going on through every single incidents where we've dropped points this season. And, you know, I mean, like we said, it's, they've all just kind of been one off occasions where there was enough things that you can point to, to like, you know, give some, create some semblance of reasonable doubt that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to uh, bounce back from adversity after that particular week. But I think I uh, refocusing, I think our discussion back on the San Jose game for a bit, I think I did want to talk about, you know, there were a couple changes made to the lineup from uh, the uh, Atlanta game. And uh, the first was, you know, I think Tyler missed time once again. Mm-hmm. 
And as it turns out that uh, this back problems kind of uh, lingered a bit longer than anyone anticipated. So in addition to Alex Wheel getting his second consecutive start, you saw Derek Etienne getting start out on the left for Danny Royer, who didn't even travel with the team, which I thought was kind of interesting at the time. But um, I think we have a very big problem on our hands, actually. And it's a very good problem to have because... In Tyler's absence, we've seen Sean, Rizza, and Wheel just locked down the midfield like completely. You know, I think this was the second game in a row where uh, it was the second game in a row where you just saw complete shutdown performance from the center of the field, complete control over the game for the most part. You know, it was uh, we only really let up after we scored the third goal off a set piece. And they didn't really threaten us from then on. You know, it was complete control from the midfield for most of the game. And why I say that this is a problem is, is because it's it, it's created a selection headache, I think, for Chris Armas, right? Yeah. With how well this unit has played all of a sudden, the big question I think on everyone's minds is, what do you do when Tyler is healthy? Who sits? You know, and I think we were definitely hinting at this when – uh, Andy Ivan first joined the team and Armist City was making it interesting. We didn't realize it at the time, but I think we echoed some similar sentiments, right? That there's a potential, there's potentiality for a selection headache down the line. And if these questions are being asked, um, it's not, it's good because it means some of the guys a bit further down in the depth chart have stepped up and asserted a claim to the right wing spot, I think. Yeah. So definitely. I mean, I think with, with this in mind, with the performances from Wheel once again bagging a goal and getting the man at the match award, like it really does beg the question that I really have no idea who sits when uh Tyler is fully healthy. Like I it's it, it is tough. You know, when when Flo went down, the big question mark was gonna be who is gonna replace uh who is gonna replace him. Right, and we we've got into uh, so many conversations <laughs> at this point about you know some of the tactical shifts and changes and 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 whatnot since they've lost flow and and kind of the this new reintroduction of of Rizzo back into the lineup and you know we've we've kind of mentioned how you know yeah Riz has done well but he typically has done well when he's not on the wing so we are still kind of left with a log jam in that, de- in that defensive mid spot where you're kind of shoving Riza on a wing. And again, it really hasn't worked too well. Um, I think he's shown that his most comfortable position is definitely not out wide. And Wheel has just, over the last couple of games, really put himself together and put himself, I think, in a position to, I mean, in, in, in my opinion, be the starting guy on, on the wing. Um, at the same time, Adams is Adams. I, I don't think you can drop him. Um, I don't think you can drop Sean either. So I, I'm, I don't want to say it's an easy thing for me to answer, but I think it should definitely, I think, I think it should definitely be Rizzo kind of ends up being the odd man out. Right. Um, mostly because. I think Wheels proved now that he's kind of cleaned up on some of the things that a lot of people, myself included, uh, has complained about Wheel over 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 you know the last what two and a half seasons at this point. Um, 
and he's really starting to show that if he cleaned those things up, how dangerous and, 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 and almost perfect he could be for the system. I think that position is locked and anything for, for me, that's, that's a, that's a lock. Right. You have to almost say that Adams is a lock. I mean, it's, it's fucking Tyler Adams, you know, like he provides so much to how this team plays, but so does Sean Davis and Rizzo does too, but at his, I don't know, it sounds crazy, but at his age, and just because he's proven to be a not exactly the most reliable in terms of health, maybe it's best to keep him in your back pocket for the playoffs. Yeah, I think uh, to I mean, in addition to that, I think uh, when you look at what Wheel has added to the team in terms of his, uh, you know, and to, upon his uh, reintegration in the first team squad, I, we, we, a lot of people talking about you know the runs he makes off the ball, right? And how it's added, you know, this semblance of balance to that right side. You know, I think we've seen that again, like against San Jose. You know, you saw a lot of the uh, runs that he was making as an outlet on that right wing. That, you know, it doesn't have to be Mario, like, taking most of the uh, onus in the right wing. You know, it adds a lot of flexibility to that right wing, to that right-hand channel now a lot. You know, like, Wheel can tuck in and be an extra target in the box for Murillo coming down the right wing. Or, you know, uh, Alex can go out wide and open up space in the center for uh, whoever's operating in there, just simply because he knows how to kind of run. He knows how to move, I think, in accordance to the rest of the team on that right-hand side position. And I don't really think that you can... Ca- you, you really saw that too much from Riza. You know, he Riza was kind of good in another sense because of his, his uh, passing range. His ability to uh, have these really quick uh, passing interchanges to uh, move the ball up the field, but in terms of movement, like you never really saw that from Rizzo because he'd kind of drift in a bit too much in that interview with Kaku spacing a little bit. Um, I kind of do like the uh, added balance that Wheel adds to this team because of that, and it's probably why, like, I kind of do have to echo. I think Rizzo is going to be the guy who takes on that super sub role now. You know, I, I, yeah. and I think that he does have a lot of the similar attributes where he'd be impactful in that role. You know, I think he presses well, like Alex does. He uh, adds the semblance of control to the game where, you know, he can hold on to the ball and distribute it a bit more. Should the team try and try to be suffocating the life out of the game by just adding that extra element of control in midfield. You know, I think that'd be good as a defensive substitution uh, late in the game where we're just trying to shut everything down. Just trying to keep things calm, keep things cool, not really give the opposition a, a sniff. You know, I think that's that added little thing that he can add as a substitution towards the end of the game. And that's a really good weapon to have. Yeah. You know, I think well, off the bench. I just want to throw some numbers out real quick. Um, so 2017, we played 30 games, uh, started 21, had three goals and four assists. This year, he has played 28 games. He started 11. He's got three goals and five assists. So on paper, it it doesn't jump out, right? I mean, the fact that, okay, you know, he's played two less games and he has mostly similar numbers. Until you realize that he's played like 800 less minutes. So his goal per 96 rate last year was 0.34 goals and assists. This year, it's 0.68. That's like almost doubled in yeah. production. And and I don't think that's an accident. I really think he's 
he's, I, I think it's obvious to anyone who knows what they knows what to look for, that he's improved a lot. And it was only a matter of time before, like all of that stuff really kind of started clicking at the same time. And I think now people are starting to see it because it's being becoming extremely obvious. Yeah. I think, I think um, the notable thing about Alex particularly is that, you know, I think he, he had to kind of have a bit of this, uh, perception that he was this high floor sort of low ceiling player whose ceiling was sort of uh, this squad player or the situational starter. Um, I think what we all forget and uh, what kind of hampered a lot of the uh, perceptions of him as a player is that, you know, he, he was called up as a 20 year old, relatively young, not a lot of seasoning fresh out of, you know, his freshman year of college. And, what we always still forget is is that he's still only 23 years old. There's yep. still a lot of room for growth. There's still a lot of kinks in his game that he'd have to have sorted out, you know, as he kind of progressed along his uh, professional career. And I think we kind of lost sight of that potential because you didn't really, there, there wasn't really much discernible growth from when he first uh, burst onto the scene, I think in 2016, right? Yep. Under Jesse? Yeah. And I think it was because, you know, like uh, there was that slight period of stagnation that we didn't think that he'd be capable of making further improvements to his game. But as, you know, he's proven this year, uh, the way that he's come out in the last two starts, I mean, there's a different energy about him. It's maybe not as much dawdling on the ball or trying to do too much like he's kind of done in the past. You know, I think he started to weaponize a lot of uh, a lot of the things that um, Jesse identified when he first introduced him to the first team. You know, I think he's gotten a lot better in his decision making and his um, and what he decides to do with the ball, like once he gets on it. You know, and I think uh, yeah. we kind of just forgot that. You know, in spite of all the criticism that we levy at him and in spite of all the frustration that we may feel because of his in indecisiveness, that he was still effectively only 20, a, a, a player in his early 20s. You know, and as we know, like players in their early 20s don't always have everything figured out. You know, uh, it's very rare that you see a teenager like Tyler Adams come in and exhibit the level of polish that he does you know like yeah a lot of the uh, contributors that we've been kind of uh used to seeing sean davis only really broke out in his sort of mid-20s slightly late early 20s you know when he was about 24 25 now that alex is kind of reaching that precipitous age of about 23 or so you know i think this is sort of this is sort of like a third year nba it's sort of like what we see from third year nba players right where they suddenly take their game to new heights and new levels I think Alex has exhibited some of that in his recent starts. And it's, yeah. you know, it's these kind of things that, you know, I think you kind of have to write it out and see, um, and see what you get from it. Because if he proves that these uh, improvements that he's made to his game are sustainable, I mean, like, this is a viable weapon right th out there on the right wing for us. You know, this is effectively yeah. Sean Davis, but a winger or someone who can play out wide. And that's very good value to have because these are effectively MLS career level players who can prove, prove that they can make a difference at MLS level.
and we developed them in house and we developed them inter we developed them internally uh may prove to be the most valuable kinds of things because we don't have to go out and spend like allocation money on a guy who might not really understand the way we play as well as these guys that we de develop in house yep. uh, you know i think i think uh i've been harsh in alex in the past i've been quite critical of his game as well but this is gonna be a first here in metro fan tv i'm sorry alex Godspeed. <laughs> I believe in you, kid. Yeah, I mean, look. <laughs> I, yeah, look, I was very, very, very critical of of, um, of Wheel, mostly in 2016, uh, just because that's when they traded Sam. And for me, at that time, it's like, oh, wow, perfect. Now, you know, the, the, the Argentine DP is going to finally get his time to fucking chime. Um, and it didn't happen. Instead, Wheel took over his... Uh, you know, basically took over under right wing spot. And for me, it it's not that I didn't have confidence or belief in wheel. I just didn't think that was the right time to throw him in there. I, I, I and I still insist that Verone would have been a better option um, in 2016 during that time, despite our, you know, unbeaten run, just because look, even if it took half a season to get Verone more acclimated into the system, then you have that much more of, of a prepared player going into the playoffs. And we saw what he was able to do in the playoffs in 2016 in the little time he did get to play. Um, 2017, though, is when I feel I was really able to start kind of piecing together what kind of player Wheel really could be. And the more he played, the more I was convinced of that. But at the same time, I was also convinced that he still had quite a bit of work to go. Um, and it mostly came down to his decision-making. A lot of times he just looked froze, like frozen and stuck and didn't know what to do after that moment where he pressed and he won possession or after the more he where, where he put some pressure and, you know, the player gave the ball up to another, you know, to Davis or, or whoever it was. He didn't know what to do a lot of times after that. And even parts of this year, I think I think I saw that. But as the season has progressed, there's been a love. And, and I think this this plays into just the whole team. Uh, that I mentioned before, there's a different level of confidence with Wheel over the course of this season. You can see it little by little. He's been more comfortable with the ball game by game. He's making better runs game by game. He's he's better with the ball and you know he's better with with the ball itself in 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 uh, in tight moments. You know he's not going to be someone who's going to dribble around a bunch of guys. But you don't need to do that if you still have the right vision and if you're still looking for the right guys and you still play the right pass and you still make the good run. Like there's so many little things that that I've been like hoping for him to start doing that he's been doing. And you tie that along with his work rate and his already existing extremely high level of understanding of how this team is supposed to play in terms of that that pressure. I mean, you want you people love to talk about difference maker, and 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 I we, we touched upon a, a little bit last week that difference maker doesn't automatically equate to a transfer signing, you know, some 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 big splash, some big name. A difference maker could could easily just be someone who was raising groomed in your system exactly how you want to play, and you're basically weaponizing them now. Yeah. You know, he is he is a weaponized fucking can of of, of red bull god damn it <laughs> the, the what he does on in, in terms of of putting that pressure i mean it's at the point now where like 
you could almost see the look on um, on player on, on opposing players' faces as he come as he comes towards them. That like shit, what like I had to do something because I'm about to lose the ball in like two fucking seconds. You know, like it, it's just there's something different about Muil, and there's something different I noticed too about how opposing players see him. They are respecting him more, and I think that is also feeding his confidence. Yeah. And I'm telling you, man, if if I think he has earned a star. I think he's earned the starting spot on the right side, especially since he's really the more natural one. If if the other alternative is, of course, uh, uh, Riza, you know, three assists and a goal, and a lot of good work outside of that as well. This is what we need to. We need an Alex Wheel to really, really start forming into this player that some of us have have had belief that he could turn into going into the playoffs. Yeah, you know, like, it, it, it's always been, I think, and, and I think it's kind of a really good lesson, I think, for me, particularly, especially uh, to take away, you know, uh, sometimes you forget about, sometimes when it comes to realizing potential, uh, it comes, it comes in different ways for a lot of different guys, you know, like, no two players develop the same way. And, you know, think and that's okay and like and there's nothing wrong with that like people had people i think adams in some ways has kind of spoiled this fan base because i've heard and read and seen people say comments along the lines of of you know uh adams is you know basically was a player he became already at you know 19 years old and people kind of brush off some of the somewhat older players, if they're like not already at that level, yeah. like if you're not at an Adams level by 19 years old, why are we wasting your time? Yeah, on yeah. Well, I, I, I definitely do. I, I wouldn't necessarily say uh, spoiled, but we do. Uh, it, it is a bit of a major distraction, right? Because people kind of always be using Tyler as sort of like this uh, comparison. It's a skewed perception. Yeah, it's this point of comparison. That you know, like people are are unfortunately going to be uh, comparing everyone else to, just simply because of his uh, the exponential growth that we've seen from him in his last two or three years, coming up through the ranks at a uh, of the academy, Red Bull two, and now the first team. But you know, I think what I and I think some others have forgotten is is that this is the exception rather than the rule. And I think we're going back to what I was talking about in terms of remembering that no two no no two players develop in the same way you know like there are a bunch of guys, other guys on the roster who i think flashed um uh this notion that their ceilings were a lot higher than we may have perhaps realized or perceived them as being you know florian velo coming out of nowhere to become that guy early on in the season was yeah. very much like that and he's 25 you know Guys like Aaron Long, sorry, Aaron Long, oh, yeah. even Bradley Wright Phillips, right, coming in as a yeah. stylist in the age of what twenty eight or something, twenty eight, twenty nine. Yeah, I think it was about in yeah, that, closer to twenty eight, twenty eight and twenty thirteen, twenty fourteen. Everyone just kind of thought he'd be like, oh, whatever. This guy's kind of already, kind of, kind of already peaked. He's not going to be a lot more than what he currently is, and. You know, he's just gotten better even after turning 30. You know, I think 
this is this is the kind of things that we have to remember you know like player development isn't something that happens at a certain age it happens as a result of just certain factors coming together at a certain time and coalescing into um coalescing into something that we consider weaponized right and you know it's 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 not so much when that happens for me but a matter of if it happens that makes these things kind of exciting you know and we have to remember that sometimes the if happens at different points in someone's career and what's encouraging about this current regime is that we seem to have unlocked this higher level of potential in guys across all age groups you know we develop yep. players along the age curve into something greater than what we perceived them as being when they first came to us. And, you know, I think this is why I think this particular section on Alex Mule is kind of important to get this point across is because I think this is something that would be good to keep in mind going forward. You know, like next time we might feel frustrated that someone on the roster hasn't really quite figured it out yet, or they're doing some silly things that, drive us up the wall, you know, a certain Derek Etienne comes to mind, right? Uh, yeah. You have to remember that, you know, yeah. like, these things will come at different times, but some guys may not necessarily have, uh, some guys, you know, figure it out and some guys don't, but it's a matter of when, you know, and we kind of have to understand that um, all of our prospects still kind of need some semblance of time. And if they don't, well, they get churned. It's how it's just how it is at Ripple. Yeah, yeah and, and I'll tell you what, the, Alex Mio for me has become um, kind of the perfect example, and really one of the biggest reasons why I have near absolute trust in, in like, I mean, unwavered trust in this team's ability to identify talent and and their ability to develop. And really just to trust them that they know what they're doing. Any other team would have given up on wheel a long time ago. And they didn't. You know, multiple teams gave up on fucking long. This team didn't. You know, this team has given so many guys chances. And even, like you said, even when they, you know, they've, they frustrated the fans because they're just not doing things. They see so much more than what we see. And if they're willing to give these guys, um, the faith that they can grow into what they believe they can grow into, then at this point, there's no reason why I shouldn't. I can't think of, of, of any player that this team has really kept and, and has like shown to give somebody a lot of chances and they just didn't work out. Um, I, I think for the most part, the team has been pretty good at giving a couple of chances and kind of cutting their loss when they feel it's time to yeah, cut their loss. Yeah, and I, I think it certainly and, shows in uh, the uh, career pass of the guys that we ended up uh, letting go. Uh, I think uh, the talent evaluation, not just for external talent, but internal talent is pretty good. You know, I think when it comes to scouting, we have to understand that not only is it identifying players from outside the organization, but scouting also involves appraising the talent that you currently have inside the organization. Uh, it's identifying talent, not just, you know, um, talent and progress, not just in terms of discovering players to sign, but also in terms of of uh, deciding which players you keep and which players you let go. And if you look at most of the yeah, guys I... that we've let go, you know, I think they haven't really amounted to much outside our organization. You have a couple of career-level USL guys, 
a lot of the MLS players that we ended up giving away ended up maybe staying one or two years max like Lloyd Sam before leaving again or currently find themselves unable to uh, make a difference on the teams that they were kind of traded to, right? Like a Sasha Kleshin and Dax McCarty, unfortunately, coming to mind. Well, maybe a bit more unfortunate in Dax's yeah. case than Sasha's. But uh, these are kind of things that, you know, I, yeah, I, mean, I mean, like you said, you know, uh, the, 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 the talent identification team or the talent evaluation that you see throughout the staff at uh, the organization, you know, it, they, they've kind of proved themselves to me that they have an eye for talent that is probably, arguably, the best in MLS, if not one of the best. And, you know, and I feel like they've proven themselves enough that I've given them a very, very long leash in when it comes to talent procurement and talent development you know i think there's no one else who uh does it quite like we do and because of that you know it's 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 asterisks again for me i think when it comes to stuff like this because you know you can see that there's at least you can you can come up with some kind of reason or a very well measured excuse as to why you're not pursuing something or somebody you know it's maybe it could be a thing where they saw what was on the market and thought none of the guys that were available were really worth the type of money that they'd be bringing in or stuff like that. You know, I think it's, it's they've proven that they've been very savvy in who they decide to pursue. And it's why I think in the upcoming winter window in 2019, which is going to be a very, very pivotal transfer window because you're going to see quite a fair bit of turnover, especially on the defensive side of the ball that I have faith that we're going to be able to bring in the right guys. To replace departing players, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think we yeah, both from inside, inside and out. out. Yeah, exactly. And we will be talking about the uh, 2019 uh, transfer window. I think uh, sometime down the line, but we're not really sure when. But definitely have a number of interesting takes uh, coming uh, that way. Yeah, and, yeah. Look, you know, p- people want to talk about ambition, and 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 people, and, and for whatever stupid reasons they have. You know, they, they, they cite ambition as, you know, okay, how much money am I going to spend? What's the biggest name I'm willing to spend money on? You know, what, what's the highest transfer fee I'm willing to spend on? And, and for me, ambition is, 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 is relative. Ambition is, um, you know, it's kind of subjective. You know, it's really what, what you feel. But if you want to talk about, about ambition with, with this organization, I mean, it's pretty fucking ambitious to, to want, to basically become the premier development organization in the United States of America and Canada. I, I don't think people understand, especially given the, and as much as I despise that, that forced connection between a national team um, and this team, I think this, I think with this organization is not even so much the U S men's national team. It's kind of just their their ambition to want to develop the best possible talent they the you know they can that obviously helps them and in turn helps the players on an individual level too which of course you know can mean you know uh, uh, some some national team call ups but yeah I, I think it's very ambitious to wanna to want to be able to build build a team that's not just relying on other people but also you know invest in a shitload of money that they've invested in on on the youth side to developing 
what they feel are world-class yeah. type players. You know, that that's, that's not something to, to brush off. That takes a lot of resources. That takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of patience. Um, it's, it's, I, I see what they're doing in terms of developing from within and their ability to not just develop them, but kind of identify the best ones. And, and at the same time, bring in guys who are similar just overseas and then continue to develop them from here. You know, again, guys like Amir and, 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 and a few others. It's, it's awesome to me. It's an ambitious project to, to, to do what they're doing from you know, top to bottom. It's, it's, uh, it's that great. Just about wraps it up for our thoughts in the San Jose game. Cause we're going to be shifting gears to this topic of developing talent from the lower leagues and up. We are of course going to be talking about Red Bull two for a bit this week because you know, they just locked down a playoff spot. So congratulations to the baby bulls for uh, keeping the playoff streak alive. Uh, when it seemed the most in doubt this year. Uh, this section was kind of inspired by a number of questions that we got, I think, this week in the mailbag um, from regarding Red Bull 2. And uh, what kind of sparked this for me, you know, it was a question from uh, John on Twitter, NYC John Z. So he, he, we're going to do things a bit differently, and we're going to base this segment around this question because, you know, when we talk about looking ahead, in terms of transfer windows, you know that internal replacements are a certainty at this point with how this team likes to conduct its business, right? In bringing up replacements in the transfer window. So uh, without further ado, the question asking, who from Red Bull 2, sans Christian Caceres Jr., do you think can win a spot in the first team roster? And... The reason why I think I wanted to talk about one of the gave like this question a lot of depth particularly is because this is a very, you know, the Red Bull 2 season, it's been a very mixed bag down the, down there in Montclair, I would say, right? Uh, this group, um, what stands out, I think, particularly about this group of uh, Red Bull 2 players from the uh, amount of time that I've kind of watched them is I don't think uh, you'd have um, quite had a number of like just knockout, standout like prospects that you may have seen in uh, years past, particularly in that 2016 USL team, right, where Tyler Adams was uh, kind of tearing shit up. Or in a. This is sort of like a continuation of a kind of a, you know, I mean, a, an above average 2017 team that kind of rode itself all the way to the USL Eastern Conference Finals and the backs of Stefano Bonomo having an unbelievable like tear down the line, you know. Um what stands out to me about this Red Bull 2 team is, you know, I think there are a lot of guys who I can see being very good or very good like I can see being very good solid career contributors in MLS. But not a lot of real, you know, like super can't miss prospects like you saw in 2016. Um, yeah. It's been a bit of a, I think I said, you know, it's a, it was a bit of a difficult season in Montclair. Didn't really win an away game uh, until the final, like, until like literally two weeks ago and followed it up with your second season a week after. Um, 
it was a roster that had a lot of turnover to start the year. I think they only really retained about six or seven guys that were on the 2017 roster. And when you're dealing with a really um, raw crop of guys like that, like naturally there's going to be a lot of growing pains. And this was probably the most uncertain we've been about a Red Bull 2 playoff berth in, since the project, I think, started, excluding its maiden year. Excluding its maiden yeah, yeah. year. So, yeah, I, I would... I, would um, I think in terms of who I see winning a spot in the first team outside of Christian Caceres, the name that stands out the most to me currently on the roster, I think Jared Stroud has, has come a long, long way this season. He's proven himself to be just, you know, like a potential Florian Velo type player. I think I mean, he's like uh, the fact that we got him, I think third round in the draft speaks volumes to, uh, I think it was, it was either third round or fourth round. Right. And it was one of those mid rounds. Uh, um, yeah. The fact that we managed to get him like in the mid rounds of the MLS draft, you know, it shows that this team's scouting department for, at the college game has done, done its homework. You know, he's uh, been a live wire out there and out there out wide. He's uh, given a lot of healthy competition for spots to guys like Armando Moreno and Ben Mines, who were, of course, academy talents. I mean, Stroud was also, I believe, an academy talent, but he wasn't really quite earmarked for homegrown uh, potential the same way that those two were. So it was kind of, you know, kind of nice seeing the gains that he's made. Uh, playing with Red Bull 2 this year. I think he's probably the first one that comes to mind. Moreno is another one that I've said in, pa- in the past because I do see um, see a lot of Mike Grella in his game. I think he could be, a, a, you know, that one of those uh, one of those talents earmarked for internal replacement. Uh, I hinted at this earlier. You know, you're going to see some defensive replacements and of the defensive crop down there, which is, you know, has proven to be kind of skint, uh, ultimately. Uh, Hassan and Dom, definitely the best of us at, at crop down there. Uh, those are three guys that I would kind of earmark as being uh, having first team potential. Like, oh no, what do you think? Yeah, um, yeah, I, I think I, I I pretty much agree. Um, I, I I could Hassan is an interesting big house. Is, I mean, he's only nineteen. Um, he actually just. He turns twenty, uh, sometime this month. I think like right bef- like right around Halloween. Um, so he's still really young. What I worry about him isn't so much his ability. Um, I do think he still has some some room to grow. More with maybe some of his decision making. Uh, but I, I have I have full confidence that 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 he can he can become a pretty a pretty solid center back for us for, even for the first team. I just don't know where he is as far as his mentality um, only because I, I remember an interview with him like right before the season started. Uh, and he had mentioned that he kind of had an expectation um, that he would be with the first team at some point during the season. And obviously that really hasn't happened. I mean, he played, uh... did he get, I'm trying to remember, did he get any, any burn um, this year with the first team? I can't remember. Actually, I might have to consult. I think he. Oh, uh, I think maybe. Uh, 
I think maybe the U.S. Open Cup. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there was that a period I think yes. where they were, where because of various call-ups that he had to spot, uh, for um, he was included in the rotation, sort of late May, early June when we had like the call-up apocalypse and we lost like literally four or five so, of our defenders. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So he actually started. Um, he started in the yeah. Derby one against NYCFC. Um, for the U.S. Open Cup, and then he started in the one-one draw against against uh, Columbus. Um, so yeah, so I mean, he he's got some, you know, just two, and you know, for the U.S. Open Cup. But I, I just from the interview, it kind of seemed like he, uh, he kind of had some higher expectations than that. Um, and I, I don't know, I I don't know where 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 his mind is going to be going into next season. Um, he's obviously not going to be in, in, in the picture for the first team going into the playoffs. Um, at the same time, we could be seeing a massive overhaul on the first team center back position. We could theoretically see um, a turnover that, that leaves just Aaron Long. Redding's gone, definite. I'd be shocked to shit if Colin stays. Um, I'd be almost as shocked if Fidel sticks around. And Parker's a question mark because we don't know how stupid the league is yeah. going to be and if they're going to give them a TAM contract or not. So, you know, may, I guess it all depends on how the season ends and what kind of conversations he has with the first team. And, and if, you know, I guess where, where what openings they see with the first team. I would love to see with the first team next year. Um, Giannis, I oh, feel yeah, I totally he's only 21. <laughs> Yeah, he, in my opinion, he is totally going to end up with the first team at some point. I mean, barring some weird catastrophic shit, I would be really, really surprised if if he if he didn't end up with the first team. Maybe not next year, but I could see him maybe getting a couple of appearances like in the Open Cup and maybe be more of a factor for um, for 2020. But I, I would I would be a little bit surprised if we didn't see Giannis at some point next season. Um, I'm trying to think who else I could add here. Um, They're like a bunch of guys who like could. Yeah, yeah. Tanari, Tanari, potentially. You know what? That you know what my problem with Tanari is. I I have a slight fear that he might end up being like his stock's fallen a little bit with me. Like, uh, in that recent slide that Red Bull Two had, I think, kind of not really, uh, not really quite the. Uh, Not really quite the Florian Velo type. I thought that he could be. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of readjusting my expectations of Andrew Tenari to be kind of more in line of what we might see yeah. out of Vincent Bezicourt. Yeah, and, and not not to say anything bad against Bezicourt, but like they they seem, especially. I mean, look, Tenari's 23, which is still young, but I think just given his position and how young our other midfielders are, I don't see him having a real big presence with the first team. If he ever were to make the jump to the first team. So I don't know. I, I if you would have asked me this question four months ago, I definitely would have said, yeah, Tanari is, is in my sights for the first team, maybe next year. But like you said, they're in that kind of slide. I'm not, I'm well, not quite what sure makes Tenari a bit of a wild card anymore. for me is that uh, I think I'll, he's, uh, you know, 
he needs better teammates to get the best out of him because he's not going to be able to sort of come in and make a difference by himself. Like how he makes a difference is by um, freeing up and bringing out the best in the guys around him, as opposed to kind of changing the basic game of aim on himself. You know, it's a, Kind of saw this when uh, that Red Bull 2 midfield machine was like yeah. churning at full speed when he was sort of like the guy leading the break in transition and starting up a lot of like the breaks from midfield by quick one two transitions out into the wings or for one of the midfielders like running in from deep. You know, we need, we know he has that quality in his game where just because of how quick he is at moving the ball, like he's going to be able to activate a lot of as a uh, teammates in that way. You know, it's a bit like Sean Davis. It's a bit like uh, it's one other guy that I was thinking of, but his uh, name escapes me right now. But yeah, it's a bit. It's a lot like there's a lot of Sean Davis in his game, you know, like like those sort of guys who yeah. are very good decision makers on the ball, and because of how good they are at retaining and moving the ball forward, like they're absolutely lethal in transition. So, I I have a feeling that if you surround Tanari with uh, better talent in the first team, like you're gonna get. You're going to see a lot of the best parts of his game, like, coming out again. So, you know, I mean, like, he, I, I would have him pegged as a very useful uh, depth option at the very least right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I could see him a guy that, that would, like, if he were to make it to the first team, I could see him I, being on the 18, but maybe not getting that many minutes. You know, he, he I could see him as, like, a, you know, yeah. five or 600 minute season kind of guy but like at that point i don't know how much i don't know if that's really what what he would want and, and who knows maybe that's not what the team wants maybe the team wants someone who is capable of playing 1500 minutes 2000 minutes but you know because of uh, because of you know squad competition yeah. you, you're just not going to get that many minutes whereas with tenari it might just be he just like his talent level is really kind of just a squad guy you know um, an- another name is is uh, um, oh, what's his name? Jesus, I just it just escaped my head. Uh, my head. He had a he had a pretty good game. Jose Aguinaga, yeah, um, the Aguinaga. Right University connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's someone who who I feel like he's good enough where if you give him a solid run, like a solid run of minutes, and you kind of burden him almost with a lot of responsibility you would see rapid growth like he I, I just there's something about him that i just feel he has a lot of like just raw natural talent right. and ability and he's also smart like he has he ha- there's just something about his soccer iq that i feel is is kind of just like waiting to explode you know he it, almost like you know they're very very different players let me just preface by saying that i'm not i'm not saying he's wheel but like wheel in a sense where you can see things, you can kind of piece together these things you see, and you can kind of formulate this like really, really like useful, good, solid player in a system. But you're kind of yeah. just waiting for no, that to no, happen. No, I, think I see a lot of that. Like a good point. Like uh, in terms of his uh, how direct he is, and you know, like his ability on the ball. I think there's there's a lot of excitement, but. The, my, my, my deal with the 2018 Red Bull 2 team is, is that I think a lot of the guys that um, were brought on this year, I think were brought on with the mind of developing them an, an additional full year in 2019 to see, like, what sticks, you know? 
I think this particular you're going to see yeah. more of this particular crop becoming prominent around 2020 as opposed to 2019. So I think to kind of wrap this up a little bit before we move on to some of the other questions in the mailbag is that, you know, it's 28, like in terms of is that we're still some ways away, I think, of seeing some of these guys uh, come up to the first team. Uh, like I think I said, uh, Brian White was probably, Brian White even I thought was kind of a bit too premature a to call it, but he's slotted in pretty well with the first team. Despite only having played a Ripple two for for like about for a number yeah. of months, like, and and I don't I don't want to cut off, but White White to your point before you mentioned about Tanari White, some kind of reminds me of the same situation where like you surround him around better yeah. guys, and it almost that, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah for sure, and uh, a lot of it kind of lies down to the fact like again that you know I I never I kind of have this growing perception of this crop of Red Bull 2 guys is that they're not going to be immediate contributors, but they're rather, they're kind of just sort of like seeds right about now. And the plan with taking on these seeds is that they were trying to be grown towards contributing in 2020 as opposed to 2019. There were a number of guys who kind of made that leap early on. Uh, you know, I think Brian White was, you know, as we mentioned, was one of those. Um, that, you know, I think it's tough for me to ultimately definitively say that most of the that most of the guys that we just named are going to be first teamers next year, especially considering that they're already at positions where there's a lot of competition and there's a lot of um, and that we're most definitively solid at, you know, Um Preseason's definitely going to be very interesting. It's going to be interesting uh, in for some of these guys. Yeah. Preseason, preseason is something where I can see a guy like Giannis possibly making a strong statement to to be included in, with you know with, with the first team. Kind of from, I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Giannis kind of walks into the you know walks into preseason and gets a really really strong. Yeah, it kind of really depends on kind of jump what happens with team. Amir, in um, my opinion. Like so that kind of has. Well, uh, uh, yeah. Look, if if Amir goes, I could, I could totally see them putting putting Giannis on on a fast track to the first team. I, if 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 Amir stays, then yeah, I could see them maybe taking their time, and I definitely would see, I, I definitely could see Giannis kind of making, uh, being involved in the first team to some extent, at least during the Open Cup. But if Amir's gone, I mean, short of bringing in someone else. Who yeah. who is gonna who's gonna take that spot? Yeah, Kyle Duncan. The, I guess Duncan. You got to see how he comes back from his own ACL injury as well. So, yeah, yeah, yes. I mean, he's he's he seems like he's kind of uh, recovering faster than than they expected. But you know, until Minutes. you actually see him playing, you know, his ACL, you know, ligament injuries, man, at any age, they're rough. A lot of times it's not even a uh, uh, physical limit. It's a lot of times it's mental. You know, you're a little wary about, and I, I speak as someone who's, you know, had two knee surgeries. Um, sometimes it's a mental thing where you're a little too cautious about, you know, kind of going that extra mile and, and giving that little bit extra because you kind of have your knee in the back of your head and something like that in that position with how this team plays 
is really, in my opinion, what makes or breaks, um, really makes or breaks you. I mean, what, what makes Kamar so fucking good is just his complete lack of every time Kamar goes for a tackle, I'm, I'm just waiting for the ref to pull a card. Not because it wasn't a perfect, not because it wasn't a good tackle, but he just goes in so hard as perfect <laughs> as it is. I always, I have a heart attack every time he goes in, um, you know, and, and, and you could almost say the same thing with Amir. Amir is very aggressive too. And they give that extra mile, you know, wheel with that work rate. It, it's him going an extra mile. Tyler Adams with his work rate and, and, and his engine, it's him going an extra mile. So you remove that, that, that kind of part of your, 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 your mentality that allows you to push yourself like that. Yeah. Then you kind of become a little bit of a different player. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we so definitely that kind of wraps it up here in USL for the USL segment of the uh, podcast uh, to answer your question, John, from my perspective. Uh, those guys that we just named that I can potentially see as first teamers, but I think we all agree that it's kind of geared more towards 2020 as opposed to 2019 um, in mind. Maybe a couple. Yeah. yeah coming up. We'll see a couple, I think like, yeah, open cup or, you know, rotation and stuff like that. But yeah, I think, I think, I think all but yeah. maybe two guys I, are, are kind that. of 2020 guys. It's kind of about sums it up. Uh, I guess now we'll move on to our mailbag. Yes, the mailbag segment is back after a long absence, ladies and gentlemen. We're uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) excited once again to be receiving questions. And I guess without further ado, we'll uh, get down to it since uh, if I blabber on a bit more, this podcast is going to be two hours long. Um, first question coming from Andrew on Twitter. What are your opinions on this alleged new NASL? I didn't even know that a new NASL was coming along. So that's kind of everything I need to say. (laughs) Yeah, I, I actually Googled it. I didn't know. I, I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. I know there's like, you know, a million different new fucking leagues that have been, you know, kind of proposed, but I honestly had no idea that there was, um, and like an actual new NASL or, or, or maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's the same yeah, I mean, one. Like, they're just looking to return this year. I, I, this is news to me. I don't know. I, I will say any league that even thinks about trying to form itself at this point, it's, I, I don't think you have any shot in hell, especially not with USL, um, doing their big rebrand. I think that rebrand is a, the names that they chose, I think, are fucking stupid. Um, but at the same time, I can understand why they're doing that. But that is a huge rebrand, and they are in the middle of a pretty, I think, pretty significant uh, restructuring and expansion that I think is going to pretty much push out any potential uh, new soccer leagues to kind of come in and, and, and try to take them over and really solidify themselves as, you know, kind of the yeah, you know, I think yeah, definitely uh, like the sooner the USSF uh, kind of prevents this uh, various uh, bizarre Wild West situation where you have all kinds of pirate leagues popping up and playing two seasons before uh, disappearing completely, the better. You know, I think you you really do need to add start taking the lower league structure a bit more seriously, and the USLs move towards becoming a more centralized consolidated presence in the second third and fourth divisions is a really good step forward you know i think uh 
not only that, but we also kind of need to start thinking about branching the fourth division out, particularly into the uh, role that regional leagues occupy in other pyramids. You know, I had a really mm-hmm. good conversation with a uh, guy on Japanese soccer Twitter about how, like, a how a centralized structure in Japan definitely helped to a degree to add stability to the pyramid because it gives a clear pathway from, you know, the regional, more local leagues up into a sort more to more centralized national level. And this is sort of like the one big misstep that I think MLS took in terms of, uh, in terms of this is that like the top division is sanctioned by a completely different organization uh, from the ones that run divisions two through four. And there's no centralized um, routes in divisions two, two, two through four prior to USL trying to take its uh, consolidation a bit more seriously. So th- you're still going to have to solve that incongru- incongruity between MLS and USL, which kind of brings me to uh, what I think about this new NASL. And, you know, I think they should just kind of just let it die at this point. I think USL is probably the best um, ship that we can, it's probably the best presence that's going to be for those the, the three lower rungs into the division below MLS. I think NASL is just kind of, they've kind of missed their shot. And anyway, like the, the only exposure that I have on NASL is when some weird Cosmos guy gets RT'd onto my timeline for whatever God awful reason. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the faster that those guys go away, like the better. Okay. Like, please, for the love of God. And this is going to be, my PSA for this episode: Stop RTing these fucking Cosmos weirdos into my timeline, please, because I don't follow users outside of the RBNY sphere for a reason. I don't give two shits or a fuck about any of those guys. Okay, like NPSL pro memes, whatever. Okay, like they're the fucking. It's like fucking God. I don't know, like some cursed anime from my past that I kind of want to forget, you know, it's, it's like reading your live journal, I think <laughs> seven years in the future. <laughs> exactly. Like Seeing to, what you used to be. And you're like, oh my God, God like, please, like, I don't even fucking know you anymore. Ugh. I would yeah. punch myself in a face. So that's, so that's my take on NASL Twitter and the NASL in general. Uh, The, the only thing – I'm sorry. The only thing I want to add to this is you know, the the whole promotion and relegation thing is really going to be why uh, NASL and NASL-like um, you know, conspiracy leagues that, that keep kind of just coming up and coming up and coming up. And with those people uh, – and this is a whole different discussion. I want to get too, too into it. But the, the problem that these people – refuse to understand is this is a fundamentally different sports country than anywhere else. If promotion relegation were ever to happen, it's got to be done in a way where all of the clubs feel some level of safety financially and, and their existence. Um, Especially when it comes to the towns that these, that these clubs, you know, uh, that they play in, you know, there's a lot more red tape when it comes to sports in the U.S. than than really anywhere else, just because you know soccer is not an ingrained sport. It's not something that that's that's been in American sports culture for a hundred plus years. 
USL has taken a smart route of wanting to first and foremost build a real, a strong, and a cohesive lower league pyramid across multiple levels and then make themselves open for the possibility in the future if these if you know the, the clubs can can maintain some level of, of, of strength and safety to maybe have promotion relegation. That's always been the right path in the United States towards promotion relegation. Not fucking destroying everything because some douchebag Ricardo uh, whatever fuck oh, yeah, his Ricardo's name wants to come in and, and, and throw fake money that he doesn't even have into this yeah, into this idea that is just not fundamentally possible yeah. right now. Yeah. You have to build the groundwork right now for that to happen. And as long as as long as NESL and these other, you know, rogue leagues continue to try to 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 do whatever the fuck we are tr- trying to do and not understand this fundamental thing, and as long as USL yeah. keeps positioning themselves yeah. this way, none uh, of those leagues I have think a that chance. Kind of sums it they up never for, me will, for this period. particular question. Next one coming from friend of the show, Juan Carlos Aponte. Lens, what is it like living in the future? Um, I went from the second most capitalist country in the world to the most capitalist country in the world. So uh, it's hell. It's actually hot too. <laughs> it's hot. It's humid. There's 90% humidity. Uh, and for some odd reason, like my... Uh, <laughs> For some odd reason, like uh, the, the the wealth inequality somehow got even worse when I flew over the Pacific Ocean. So the future isn't quite what it used to be. If you're listening to this podcast long enough, I want you guys to understand that I am from the future of an alternate dimension where um, capitalism fell and the USSR won the Cold War. And let me tell you, friends, the socialist world is great. Right? The hammer and sickle are my friends. Yes. Unionize. Your boss is not your enemy. Your, your boss is not is your enemy and not your friend. And you should definitely guillotine the rich. Anyway. Um, <laughs> moving on to Brian on Twitter. How will you be keeping the fallen warehouse in your memory? Uh, how... This, this actually kind of hit me in the sensitive spot a little bit because I have a, I have a lot of really fun memories uh behind that warehouse because you know you just kind of shoot the shit before games and fuck around with your friends at various locations and around Red Bull arena we lost lot a in 2017 and that was really sad but the absolute unit that was that warehouse uh, yeah that was it really hard. feels like you've lost a lot of uh what made the trip to rba the trip to <laughs> rba right and you're going to be replacing it with some shitty mixed-use facility with a fucking bowling alley that no one's going to use within like three months of it opening up, like, come on now. Like, you know, there's going to be a bowling alley in that establishment. Wait, is there really going to be a bowling alley? There's going to be a cinema. Like, yeah. <laughs> Good. What? When, when did this happen? I, I, the last, the last I heard it was going to be mixed use, but it was supposed to be like, like some condos and some like restaurants and a, giant parking deck for, yeah they're gonna have a bowling like alley in that thing like can you imagine like fucking bowling like like alley, a, really? a frustrating loss at red bull arena but you get to go bowl like after they let off some stress or some shit to be honest <laughs> well you know what no that that's fine <laughs> I'm, you know i'm for energy we're, we're, we're gonna take over bowling too. 
is going to be energy drink fucking bowling. Dude, the fucking, the balls are going to shoot out like cannons. Dude, and dude, you have it's, to it's catch less about it ranking, racking up the highest scoring no bowling as much as it is completing the 10 frames in like the fastest amount of time. So, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's going to be a curve. It's not just going to be a bowling score no, is the possession uh, stat. I, I want this to happen. This is, this is my Welcome to my TED Talk, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> in regards to how I'm going to be keeping the fallen warehouse in my memory, like I may or may not be building a giant Lego set right now. <laughs> but let's be real, Brian. Like you, you, You're not going to be able to see this since we pivoted back to audio after pivoting to video, but I'm pointing at my heart right now. And that's where the warehouse lives. Yes. That is how I remember the warehouse. <laughs> yeah. I, what I'll say about the warehouse is it's kind of, it's kind of the last, I think it's going to be the last piece of the rebel arena. Just like the team is going to end up with two different eras <laughs> where it's like before warehouse and after warehouse, because <laughs> because like you know we've seen all these you know we've seen the condos kind of start little by little popping up but like we still had the warehouse the warehouse was still like that connection to to kind of that gritty roots of of you know before we became we eventually become this fucking super team in the u.s so like that's gonna go down and there's not gonna be any more visible reference really to one RBA, you know, the first eight years of Rebel Arena, you know, you're going to see another stupid building come up with more stupid shit, except for an awesome energy drink bowling alley. Um, uh, I think next year at some point they're going to start building right in, I think right in front of the stadium. Um, and I, some point next year that uh, where PSG is on the right side along the river, that's all going to be a park. So like this time next year, that area is going to start looking significantly different. And again, there's not going to be really any visual reminders to kind of that, that, you know, OG original kind of gritty rebel arena area. So yes. RIP uh, to the most absolute of units. Uh, John Perdicaro of Red Bull News Network asking us next. Do you foresee Atlanta dropping points against your next two opponents, especially of no Almiron? Also, has Alex Meal finally been redeemed after a poor first half of the season? So we answered the second question pretty definitively, considering that we spent 35 minutes uh, waxing lyrical about how good he's become. So yes, I hope that answers your question, John. <laughs> As for the former, I can see them dropping points. I don't necessarily see them losing. But, you know, it might be a thing where they struggle to uh, generate offense against... Uh, Chicago and Toronto and end up like maybe coming away with a tie without Almiron because he just is such an integral part of that team that you can't really replace what he does, I think. Especially since the next guy down in the pecking order in that position for Atlanta might not be as good. You know, they don't really have guys off the bench who can step in and replicate that level of production. I mean, there's no one on our team who could probably do that either. But the step down from our best playmaker to the next guy in line isn't quite as steep as it is, I think, for Atlanta from Almiron 
to the next guy in Atlanta's roster. Like I can't even tell you who it is off the top of my head. Might be Barco. It might be someone. It might be Vialba. But who really knows? Uh, ultimately, you know, I can see Atlanta. You know, maybe dropping two points. And it's gonna be. It's gonna be an opportunity that we're gonna have to seize if we're gonna want to be in the driver's seat for uh, the Shield. I think I'm gonna echo what Fernando said earlier in the episode. It's gonna come right down to the wire. So, that's where it kind of is for me. Yeah. Yeah, so just kind of quickly glancing at, at, at how they play without um, Almiron, and their record yeah. isn't too too good. I mean, he's pretty much played, like, all year. Um, but they have one win since last year without him. And even games where he came in as a sub, um, they've mostly either lost or draw. Um, they, I think, yeah, they haven't even won a game where he's just subbed on. So I, I think, I think what he gives to the team is pretty significant. And because they don't have, I think, uh, as a, a cohesive unit and complete system, real system at play, like we do, where for us, it's pretty easy to kind of plug and play different guys and get results like we did against them. Um, what he provides in so many different ways is incredible. And, and I, I don't think they're going to lose a game. Um, if they were going against better teams, maybe, but I can definitely see them dropping points. I could definitely see them. Uh, uh, I wouldn't even be, I wouldn't be completely surprised if they came out with like two draws. Um, only because, I mean, again, he, he's so important to to their counter and their transition, and there's really no one on that team to kind of carry that burden, especially when um, I, I think it was uh, I think it was Bobby Warshaw who mentioned this, but like if you look at what he does in transition in like really really tough spots and how he's able to kind of just like figure yeah. shit out and make other guys figure shit out is super crucial. And if you don't have that guy to kind of be yeah. that brains when like shit's not going well, shit's just not going to go well. So yeah, yeah. I, I could see them drawing. I think I'm moving on now to uh, Alex Lishik. I mean, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. So you can correct me if I didn't asking, did Sean Davis deserve a call up to the U S men's national team, especially since Bradley got in a say no to spicy Dave B the U.S. men's national team ruins our players, so I do not want Sean Davis to be ruined. However, I think he does what Will Trapp does a lot better than what Will Trapp does, if that makes sense. Uh, I think he, if you're... Sean Davis is an interesting one for me. I think he's definitely should at least deserve some semblance of inclusion in the January training camp. And if the USA is kind of serious with uh, trying to move towards a game involving the ball a bit more, you're going to want a guy like Sean Davis who kind of makes very good sound decisions uh, with it and knows how to retain possession or even start like the transition. I think what definitely uh, makes the case for him is his familiarity with Tyler Adams, who's going to be such a huge part of the US men's national team going forward that you'd probably include him in contention for a spot, perhaps based on that alone. Uh, I think he definitely, I mean, as much as I kind of dislike the USSF 
as much as I kind of dislike U.S. soccer after uh, the whole debacle in Trinidad and how they haven't really done anything to try and repair relations with the supporters after that. I think you know he 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 does he's he's earned a look, at the very least. Uh, I don't know if he's gonna be a core U.S. guy, but he'd be a good maybe depth option. Maybe give him a run out in the Gold Cup or something, just to see what sticks. You know, I think uh, he's definitely he probably does in my opinion. But the longer that we keep our players away from Spicy Dave, the better anyway. So it's a win-win in my in, in my book. Yeah. Yep. Actually, it might I'm be a lose win for me because I think if he gets called up to the U.S. men's national team and he's ruined by Spicy Dave and he comes back and shell of his former self, then it's a definite loss. So, yeah. Sorry, Sean, but stay away from the U.S. men's national team. Yeah. Uh, coming up next. <laughs> oh, my computer fell off for a bit. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> we have a four pack from Scott Chapel, Chappelle Chapel on a Red Bull discussion group. Again, sorry if I'm mispronouncing these uh, last names. Uh, Muel is starting to feel some love from fans in MLS. Was it Doyle who asked, is he good? Question mark. Is he? Question mark. Uh, you know, I think, yeah, we, we, uh, <laughs> we do, we've definitely answered this. Uh, number two, Danny needs to be on the, the pitch for penalty that. kicks. Does that put Muel on the bench because Rizza is strong in the middle and on set pieces? And I think we also kind of kind of answered this. You know, I think uh, we 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 have consensus. I think that Rizza is probably going to be the odd man out, unfortunately. And uh, but with the question particularly to set pieces, we do have a really good set piece taker in Sean Davis, anyway. So. Maybe he's not quite as good as Rizzo under delivery, but, you know, Sean yep. still can send in a pretty good one. So, uh, you know, I think I'm confident that we can keep the strength off of set pieces going with Sean Davis delivering him. Uh, number three, is RBNY the most feared team in MLS or is it Atlanta? I think it has to be us. Um Yeah, I, I think that changed. I I think before our game against each other, it would have been Atlanta. But I think since then, it's been it's been us. I think, especially with uh, twelve and kind of, and others kind of highlighting how good we've been against the best teams in the league and how mediocre they've been against the best teams, tied with how just absolutely dominating we were against them. I think we've definitely seen a, a shift in the last like two yeah. weeks of of no, no, some of the narratives sure. as far like, as like I think really that is, two like, nil. Win against Atlanta was sort of like a something that shifted the balance of power in the Eastern Conference. So uh, we'll definitely kind of be. I mean, it has to be us at this point. Kind of don't really see a two two ways about it. Um, finally, number four, who is our MVP as of now? Down the middle, front to back, BWP, Kaku, Sean, Tyler, Aaron, or Parker, or even Kamar. Easy choice is BWP. But what would our shape look like without Davis? So season MVP so far. I want to give it to all 11 guys because they've all played so well. And I know this is kind of a cop-out to say. <laughs> yeah, my- but what? <laughs> I have a bigger cop-out. Yes. The MVP yes. is the system. Guys, that's the MVP. <laughs> but if I had to choose one guy... Um, 
the easy choice is usually the most obvious choice and it's the most obvious choice for a reason i mean i think when you look at how we've come away um you look at our record this season and you look at the number of points we've accumulated a lot of that rests on bradley Wright phillips and it, i think it's what double digit goals and double digit assists now that he's on yeah or at least close to it yeah um, he's close. I think he's, he's like one, I'm, I'm checking right now, but he might be like one assist away from, right. from having 20 goals a, and eight assists. I mean, uh, two, he's two assists. He, it, the, so he's got the, 20 the goals. Contributions that he's made this season, you know, he's evolved from just beyond no penalty kicks, <laughs> 20 goals, no PKs. He's like Jay Cole, got platinum, but with no features, Sorry. but <laughs> Uh, you know, it's true. I mean, <laughs> when you look at what Brad's done this season and he's taken his game to a whole new level, he's evolved to much more than just a simple goal scorer that he was in 2014. You know, he's got, he can do everything now. He's such an integral part of that offense. He brings uh, his teammates into play because of how much respect his opponents give him. You know, as much as I want to give it to everyone, you know, like he stands out the most for me. So, I mean, this is kind of, not, this is kind of an easy one for me as well. I mean, it has to be Brad. I love everyone on this team. With the with the possible exception yeah. of Derek Etienne, because he needs to lo- yeah. learn how to respect women. But, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it has to be Brad, in my opinion. <laughs> I think. Kind of, kind of, no two ways yeah. about it. I'm with I, I It's fucking unbelievable that at his age... He just literally, he just gets better. 20 goals, eight assists, and only 79 shots. This is the least amount, of, is the fewest amount of shots uh, he's I mean, taken just, since coming to his team. And he's got, uh, we're probably going to have to give our end of season awards uh, when, whenever the season ends. So we'll definitely be hearing more, I think, discussion on uh, the, and who the team MVP is at the end of the year. But I think we're kind of move on to our last question now because we're coming up in 90 minutes in this episode. So Gustavo Gonzalez via email. So thanks for the email, Gustavo. We don't, uh, it's just the rarest of question forms. What teams do you, <laughs> I didn't even make the connection until now. Like, thanks Gus. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> What teams do you think give us the tu- gives us the toughest yeah. matchup in the playoffs and impressions on Ivan so far? So I think I'll talk about Ivan for a bit. He's starting to show signs of life. I think he's probably shown flashes that he's the best one-on-one player on the roster right now. And I have a gut feeling that we're going to see him become even more of a contributor off the bench in the playoffs because I think his ability to kind of go at guys late in the game when they've already been kind of worn out is pivotal. And we don't, we, we, we don't really have too many guys in this team who can create off the dribble. I think Amir is the only one that I can really think of who can create on the dribble off a, starting, off a standing start that I think Ivan's going to be a very interesting wrinkle to add should the situation come to it. So I'm still optimistic for Andreas. I still think that he's going to be make more of an impact in 2019, but I, I think he can round out into a super sub. So, at least for the season. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he only has 177 minutes a season, which isn't that much at all. 
Um, but you can definitely see him getting more and more comfortable uh, every time he comes out. And, and even outside of context of how the, like the system is just playing in MLS, being in America, like just being in a completely different environment. He just seems so much more comfortable by the game when he's on the field. Um, you know, you, you see him being a little more creative. You see him being a little more, a little more confident going at guys. Um, from there, as he kind of just starts gaining more confidence in that sense, but also integrating better with the team and how his team plays. I, I think he, this is, this is kind of um, low key, very high potential. Uh, whether it happens, we don't know. We'll see, but I think the potential yeah. for him uh, to be for like a, toughest a really match big surprise playoffs. off the bench, I think is very, very high. The low seeds worry me more than the high seeds because City are terrible. They've been terrible under Dome Torn. But the four through six seeds are a bloodbath. You know, I think those are legitimately very strong four through six seeds. And, you know, if DC slide in at that six spot, like I think they will, like there are no tough outs in that group of teams. Because Columbus, Burhalter kind of has is the best coach in MLS, in my opinion. And he's given us a run for he's given us a run every time we face Columbus. You know he knows how to have his team deal with the press like superbly well, and that's what makes me kind of nervous facing him. Philadelphia have made significant strides as a unit based on their defense, and we struggle against teams that play as physically as Jim Curtin enjoys uh, doing against us. So they're going to be also kind of a tough nut to crack, and you know that away trip to Philadelphia that we'll be uh, previewing next week. It's going to be such a big litmus test for my confidence going into the playoffs. But um, it's why, like, I think how much of a defensive, how much of a tough nut Philadelphia is to crack defensively. Like, you know, I have to say that they're also kind of worrisome. And D.C. D.C. have been the third best team in terms of form, I think, in the Eastern Conference since the second half of the season began. And that what makes and that's what makes them particularly worrisome for me. We talked about this after the three through draw against DC United, but this is not the DC team that started the season. This is a much better squad. Like top to bottom. Uh so I would yeah. say that those three would probably give us the toughest matchups in the playoffs and Honestly, they're the ones that I'm worried about the most. City and Atlanta don't really worry me as much, which is kind of weird. But yeah. this is how it is in MLS, I guess. You have a pretender as the third seed. You have Paper Tigers as the third seed. No, Paper Tigers as the first or second seed, and that's Atlanta. A fucking joke team as the third seed because of the early season form. And then, like, the fourth through sixth seeds are the real... Are the real are, are the real challengers? It's just funny how that works out. Yeah, so I mean, for me, I'm I'm a little bit less worried about Columbus. The more I kind of think about it, and and I feel like watching that game again, um, where we lost three to two, because that was one of those games where. It was, it was another game at that time. Soon after, uh, Chris took over, 
where the first half was fucking just absolutely abysmal. I mean, it was horrendous. But then the second half was just, I mean, they just unleashed fucking energy drink soccer at its max. And we came very close to winning. We were down three to nothing. We came back and, you know, we still lost three to two. But if we would have played that whole game like we did the second half and we, they were just better defensively and they didn't start the game with the five in mm-hmm. the back, I think we soundly beat the crew. That's my take. That's my opinion. And I do want to watch the game again. But I do remember the second half of that game was, I mean, as complete of a different of a complete of a different game um, or different half as the first one. So that gives me confidence. I feel like I feel like um, Chris has shown that he can learn from some uh, tactical mistakes he's made. And I I have a good I have a reasonably good feeling um, that we can kind of handle our shit against the crew. The union actually scare me the most. So the union since um, August 1st are on 2.09 points per game, which to me is weird. I don't, I don't think I would have ever imagined Philly being more than a 1.5 point per game team, let alone being a, a you know, above two uh, DC is pretty close at 1.91. So I'm, I feel like even though we got fucking walloped by fucking Montreal, there for some reason there's something there's something about them that I, I I don't know why I just don't feel as nervous about it as I did even from a couple of weeks ago. We lost against them three nothing, but you know we also that defensive pairing. I feel like even though it was the same defensive pairing that we saw against uh, Toronto and Atlanta. No, was it Toronto and Atlanta with um. With, uh, uh, that was, yeah, Sean no, and, um, we went into, uh, Atlanta with Sean risen to midfield. And then San Jose, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we now see that that defensive pairing can work and I don't feel like, I feel like we were, I feel like Montreal made it very obvious that they had to f- just tactically function differently without Adams there. And I feel like we've learned from that to so going into a game again against Montreal. And, and also the deal with they'll Montreal be able to handle is, is that, that a little we better. Be and we will probably have as our fifth game in anyway. 15 days. Um, like, and even then we conceded two goals off of set pieces. Exactly. That to me, that was just about to mention it. That's the other huge thing. Yep. And, and I think we've, I think we've, I mean, you know, San Jose did get a, get, did get a goal on, on, yeah. uh, on a set piece, but I think for the most part, They've they've shown that those are just blips. Like it just it was a weird a weird run against Vancouver, Montreal, where where shit just kind of happened. Yeah. Um, DC is just a fundamentally good team now. Like full on, they, I people kind of laughed at me uh, a couple weeks ago when I mentioned this, but I'm going to stick to this, and, and I think it proves at this point that Philly and DC United, if they would have started this season, would be third and fourth place. City would, I would be surprised if they even made the fucking playoffs. Yeah. They're so horrible now. I think they're like at exactly one point per game since, uh, uh, since August. They're just, they're not a good team, but Philly and DC are good teams. Those are the only two teams that I think now I can say yeah. safely scare me and are going to be the toughest Philly. I think gives us the toughest one. I would, I would if I had to rank it, it would be Philly, yeah, I think, I think, that, um, that, I think Philly, that's DC, fair. 
Columbus. Uh, where does Montreal fit in that, just for reference, I think, uh, in case they somehow manage to make it as a succeed? Um, I, above city, I guess, like if, 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 so if, if, if right now the teams that are, are one through six finishes the season one through six for me, it's, uh, then it would be Philly, the crew, um, Atlanta, actually, no, it would be Philly, the crew impact Atlanta and then city like city scares me the least. If DC makes it, then it would be Philly, DC, um, Columbus, Atlanta, and city, I guess, or something, some, some variation of that. But yeah, yeah like you uh, mentioned before, I mean, it's the lower seeds. Actually, I guess, uh, you know, it's going to be an absolute bloodbath right in the now. Eastern conference playoffs this year, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, uh, no easy outs, I think. So, um, as we always know, right. Uh, no, the route to the first championship will probably be the hard route. And this is probably the hardest route to the final that I think I've seen since the Ragnick era started. You know, I think the one through six in the East are all legitimately really, really good teams at the very least. So um, uh, I think that kind of wraps it up for us here. We'll be talking more about the playoff race, I think, next week, along with the uh, Philadelphia away preview. But uh, it's another bumper episode for us here on uh, the Metro Fan TV Weekly Rundown. It's uh, coming up to about 101 minutes of content. So uh, we hope that you've enjoyed yet another in-depth rundown. Uh, once again, we'd like to extend apologies to Alex Meal for not being firm believers. And uh, I want to close out the episode by sending my regards to a New Jersey institution, an absolute landmark of New Jersey infrastructure, the Harrison Warehouse Company Warehouse, RIP buddy, you live on forever in our hearts. Uh, may <laughs> may your future be filled with numerous half-empty cinemas and energy drink bowling. But for now, Metro Fan TV saying a good morning, <laughs> a good afternoon, and a good night, depending on where in the world you are. Uh, <laughs> Peace. <laughs>